I always believe in the the best idea in the room. I always say I love the best idea in the room. I don't care where it comes from. I hope it comes from an intern because then they'll feel empowered to continue down a path that they're interested in in the future. You know. Welcome to Artist as Leader, where we explore the intersection of creativity and leadership. I'm Corey Madden, and I'm Rob Kramer. In this episode, we bring you Rob's interview with award-winning playwright, director, and choreographer Larissa Fasthorse. Larissa's plays have been produced across the country from Juneau, Alaska to New York City, where her latest, The Thanksgiving Play, was presented by Playwrights Horizons this past spring after its premiere in Portland, Oregon at Artists Rep. The Thanksgiving Play also represents a significant milestone. With eight more productions slated over the next year, it just became the first play by Native American or Indigenous playwright to appear on the American Theatre Magazine's list of the 10 most produced plays of the season. Larissa is currently vice chair of the Board of Theater Communications Group, a national advocacy and service organization for nonprofit professional theaters. A member of the Sechonga Lakota Nation, Larissa has worked on artistic projects with Native communities all over the country. In 2015, she and artist activist Ty Defoe founded their own consulting business, Indigenous Directions, which advises organizations who want to engage with Indigenous art, audiences, and artists in equitable ways. Larissa spoke to me from her home in Santa Monica. I asked her to tell us how she developed as an artist. So my artistic background uh, originally was as a classical ballet dancer, weirdly, from South Dakota. Mm -hmm. And then... Happens um, all the time, Larissa. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's been a good (laughs) three of us. (laughs) Um, And then um, through that, I transitioned into writing, which was originally in film and television. And then theater found me. And I became a playwright and have been a playwright for the past 12 years. Um, so I, I come from a, a real artistic, um, mix of, I guess, leadership styles. Um, I was a balancing dancer and it's, it's funny as much as balancing people think of balancing as this kind of, um, I don't know, dictator in some ways people will say, but also the way he choreographed and the way he worked with his dancers was very much specific to every dancer. So like one, um, piece that he created, say on Suzanne Farrell, when uh, you know someone else did it, he would completely change it. He changed the tempo. He changed uh, the steps. He changed everything so that that person looked amazing doing that piece. And so his pieces were constantly shifting and changing through different dancers because his goal was to make each dancer look the best they could be with their strengths and their skills. So it wasn't about fitting into one thing. It was about up finding people's strengths and uplifting them. Um, my special specialty, if you will, was working with actually non-dancers and and helping them find their strengths and make them look good and make them look strong and adapting what I do to them. And so I was never the kind of choreographer that would just say, here, you have to do this and you have to make it happen. I'd say, what do you do well? What do I do well? Let's find a way to make both of us look good. And so then that continued into, I think, very much my playwriting. So my, as a playwright, I've always been an, an, a very collaborative worker. And I, before that was, you know, officially a thing, before I was working with ensemble companies, just in a traditional commissioning format, I work very much in collaboration with all of the creative team, with the actors, with everybody. There's nothing more exciting to me than finding um, an actor that with a lot of opinions, <laughs> I love it. And I love an actor knowing like what they do well and, and knowing their strengths and knowing their weaknesses. And then together we can work to make sure everybody looks good because, you know, if, if everyone around you is empowered and everyone around you looks good, 
then I look good, right? I always believe in the the best idea in the room, I always say. I love the best idea in the room. I don't care where it comes from. I hope it comes from an intern because then they'll feel empowered to continue down a path that they're interested in in the future, you know? Um, I hope it comes from everybody in the room. And I've always believed in that as an artist. And I know that that makes me look stronger. And um, that follows, obviously, into leadership as well. Do you think that's just how you're wired as a human or are these discoveries you made coming up through the arts or where does that, how did that form for you? Um, it's a combination of things. Part of it is cultural. Um, I'm Lakota from the Sachanga Lakota tribe. And um, there's a lot of hist- deep history in a, many of our indigenous cultures of this continent and others, of course, but I can only speak to my knowledge um, of shared leadership models. And the Lakota are one of those where we didn't have like one central chief. There were many people that were in leadership in different roles to make the community run. And all of it was about being the the greatest leader was the person who was the most of service. And so that definitely has permeated everything I do is figuring out how can I be of service? And by being of service, you're always lifting up others, which again, (laughs) ultimately makes me look good, which is not the goal, but that's what happens. Um, And then, and that's, you know, how I work with, I, uh, I have my company indigenous direction and we work through a shared leadership model and we're always working to, you know, flatten out hierarchies and make things much more horizontal than vertical. That's conscious. You're very clear about that expectation. Yes, very clear. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because in our world, you know, people are constantly trying to um, break that up. Uh, like, well, can't just one of you do this? Can't just one person, you know, because they're trying to save money or time or whatever, because it does take longer. It takes longer to work in a in a horizontal way because you have to talk to everybody and you have to get everybody on board and you have to get several opinions and several points of view. But once you move forward, you know that everybody's moving forward together and that everyone's bought into the same um, direction. And, you know, sure, you can do things much quicker if just one person jumps in and does things. But that's, to me, that's not as effective. And that's not creating the type of change that I'm trying to create in the field. It's creating um, kind of a narrower change. And I really am trying to create, I got into theater to change the field. and, And I feel like the way that um, I work is having a much broader effect than if it just been me saying, do this. <laughs> what I'm hearing is that there's times where you clearly like to s- step back and let the group uh, fill the space and make decisions and be creative and figure out which direction they want to go. And then there's, I assume, times where you choose to lean in and create some influence or make a decision about where the group needs to go. So how, how do you determine as leader, when's, when is it time to step back and when's it time to lean in? Yeah, that's, that's the trick, right? Um, yeah, I mean, for me, I tend to always err on the side of stepping back. Um, I always call myself a reluctant leader. Um, I don't like to be the person in the, you know, called the leader, although even as a playwright, that's really what you end up being in the room. Um, And then in a lot of other rooms I'm in, um, you know, the board of TCG and uh, different uh, national uh, theater spaces, I end up being a leader. Um, I think for me, you know, it's always um, about figuring out how do I best, what do my skills bring to the room? How do I best support the room? And so my goal is always to sit and listen as much as possible and then synthesize. And I think that's what I, I do well is synthesize a lot of opinions, pull out the, the central thing that I think everybody can get behind and everyone is interested in, and then 
relay that to the group and help them find a way forward. Um, you know, that, that is kind of my, I guess if I have a leadership skill, that's it, is being able to synthesize a lot of voices and pull out the strings that everybody can grab onto and then lay it out in a way that translate that into a, a vision that everybody feels they can be a part of. I asked Larissa to describe how she creates a more inclusive rehearsal process and to tell us why she's so adamant about it. Another of my early mentors, his name is Skip Mercier, GW Mercier, is a designer. And he said to me in my very first play, he designed my first play, and he said, Larissa, you should make sure you do something as a, when I was a playwright. He said, make sure you do something physical on every single play because you have to remember that this is a physical act that people have to create out of things and, and, and to make happen. It's not just something that you type on a page. It's something that people have to physically labor to make happen. So um, he and I worked on a set at two in the morning. Um, I always make sure in every production, I do physical things to be of service. And then that kind of permeated everything. So again, in the room, I'm really, really aware of constantly being of service. I set up chairs, I move tables, I go get coffee for the stage management. I, you know, do whatever it is. I I try as much as possible never to be the person sitting over there behind a table um, waiting for people to do things. Certainly there are times when I need support and I need help. um, But I make sure, you know, little things that sound obvious, but I'm telling you, they don't happen a lot in our field, like knowing the names of all the interns, right? knowing who everybody is and being able to speak with them. And I make sure to always ask the interns, like, what is it you're interested in? And, and how can I help you? Is there anything I can, you know, help you with in this process? Because if you start with, you know, it sounds crazy and obvious, but if you start with the interns and know them, you're going to work your way through the room and and know everybody. And it's really important. And I make sure it's interesting. I, I was in a theater one time, um, after a play had opened, I had to stay an extra week for a festival at a theater, as a Lort theater. And I walked through the lobby and every single person from the concession person, the ticket person, the ushers were like, hey, Larissa, what's up? And we chit-chatted. And the artistic director was like, I don't even know the names of all those people. How do you know them? You've been here six weeks. And I was like, well, but those people are all part of my production and my production involves indigenous community and my indigenous community deals with these people. So I need to know who these people are so they understand they're dealing with my community and that we don't have any problems um, because this is much bigger than the play for me. The play is one small part of what I do. The whole part is creating an indigenous space and opening the doors for others in these theaters that have traditionally been closed to us. And it was really interesting that he <laughs> didn't know all the people that I knew in his theater. During our discussion of power dynamics in the American theater and in the rehearsal room, Larissa mentioned this concept of transferring leadership to her collaborator, the director Michael John Garces. So I asked her to explain what she meant by that. Yeah, I think um, when you're talking about um, different cultures, I work a lot in indigenous communities and my um, collaborator on a lot of this work is Michael John Garces, who is not indigenous. He's uh, Cuban and grew up in Colombia. Uh, but he is white presenting and he's very aware of that. And so when we're doing the community work and I'm the playwright in the, and kind of leading the way in getting the trust of the community to create these pieces, these large scale pieces we create, which takes several years, and I'm the leader, um, a lot of that work is about Michael, who's the director, who's generally seen as the leader, right? That, that work is him 
stepping back, him making sure that he doesn't look like a leader, (laughs) that he's constantly um, being aware that he's on someone else's land and he's in someone else's culture and, and him being super aware of where he has privilege and making sure that he deflects as much of that privilege as possible because the point is to uplift the community. Um, but then when we shift and we talk about, though, as we go, we talk about the coming shift that when we get into rehearsal, because of the realities of rehearsal and needing it, like, as we said, to start and end <laughs> and accomplish something, that Michael will be the director and that this is what that means. And so we do prep people ahead of time because we're often dealing with people that aren't familiar with Western theater modes. They're professional artists, but they don't work in Western theater. And so we say, this is what it means in Western theater for a director um, to lead. And we start telling them that before we get to that point. And then when we make that transition into production, I'm in the room, but I'm actively um, helping deflect um, my leadership over to Michael. And he very much, though, works within the, by that time, he's worked with this community for a couple of years, and he knows what their cultural protocols are. He knows what their cultural values are. And he knows how to work within that culture very specifically. Um, for instance, when we we're just in Arizona, all of the cultures we were dealing with are matriarchal societies. And so, um, and matriar- deeply matriarchal. And so he understood that at times, he had to stop and say, I can't make that call. Let's ask a matriarch. Let's let the matriarch speak. Let's, and, and he knew that he had to step back as a leader, let the matriarchs work it out, have them tell him what to do, how to deal with this moment, this situation. And then he would step forward again, say, you know, thank them and step forward as the leader and continue. And so there is a tremendous amount of cultural learning that has to happen to work in different communities and different cultural areas. And, and you have to really change your leadership style to match them. And that's something Michael Garces does very well. And that's why we keep working together. I ended the interview by asking Larissa what advice she wished she'd received when she began to lead as an artist. Uh, I wish I'd been told that it was okay to lead. Um, I, I think because of my cultural background, both as a Lakota person and as someone from the Midwest, and um, I don't know what else, but I, I had a lot of um, fears about being a leader because I didn't know that you could do it differently. I didn't want to become this hierarchical, you know, vertical column leader. And that's what I'd seen. And I didn't want to be that. So I was afraid of, of being a leader because I thought it was that. I wish I'd known that it was okay that there's many different paths to leadership and there's many different ways of leading and that I had been willing to be comfortable in that sooner. Um, even now though, I have to say, you know, I was at, uh, directing a play at a theater and it was fascinating to me. This artistic director, a male artistic director said to me, you know, Larissa, you have to, after a production meeting, he said, you, you have to be harder on these people. You have to be stronger. They're not going to respect you. They're not going to, you know, and basically he was telling me, you have to be a, a vertical leader. You have to be as the director of this, you know, hierarchical ego that tells everybody what to do. And I just said, you know what, fortunately, it's long enough in my career. I said, you know what, thank you for that. But I'm good. I'm going to continue to do what I'm doing, which is listening and empowering and being of service and getting to know the very, quote, difficult um, production department head's daughter and the fact that she wanted to be a playwright. And I talked to her about that and what it takes to be a writer. And lo and behold, you know, this department who 
was notoriously late on everything, constant problem. They delivered my set early for the first time in the history of the theater. <laughs> they, they were they transferred my set early because we had to transfer to a second space, and it saved us thousands of dollars by being able to send all these people home um, days early. You know, and I don't think the artistic director ever like put that together, and that was fine. Again, that's okay. That's his path that he may or may not ever take. <laughs> but I knew that it was because I knew who these people were and I knew his daughter and I came early and I said, Hey guys, how's it going? Here's some coffee and donuts. <laughs> what do you need today? And you know, those sound like silly things, but those are things that let them know, like you said, they're seen, they're heard, they're valuable. I'm listening to them. I'm not just waiting around till I feel like showing up and seeing what they did and yelling at them. I'm there to support them and be of service from the beginning to the end. And that caused them to save us thousands of dollars and tons of time. And um, that's being a leader. Rob, that was such a great interview. And I thought the last thing that Larissa said, that she was there to be of service from beginning to end, and that that resulted in the production saving thousands of dollars. I just think that that's such an impactful example of what we mean when we talk about how people can lead through being generous. Right. You know, she, her focus is on serving others, on engaging everyone. I love, she's talking about bringing coffee and donuts and knowing the names of everybody in the room, everyone in the theater. She's really dedicated to flattening, you know, hierarchies and creating uh, limited power and authority dynamics. Really talented in, do, in doing that. Yeah. And I think that she, the other thing I heard in it was that she uses listening. She listens deeply and synthesizes uh, what other people are feeling and, and uh, what they want and adds her own leadership to that. Yeah. It's about uplifting the community. It's about thinking about everybody um, to create the production that everybody wants to see and everybody wants to be included and be a part of. Yeah, and the surprising results are that you save time and money, that people feel included, and that uh, she gains in her own stature by being someone so many people can trust. Yeah, it's really the byproduct is the success that she has in the end. Thanks, Rob. That was a great interview. And that's it for this episode of Artist as Leader. This podcast is produced by Pierre Carlo Talenti. If you'd like to read a longer version of this interview, please be sure to visit our website, at uncsa.edu slash Keenan. We'd love to hear from you, so please find us on Facebook at the Keenan Institute for the Arts and leave us your thoughts. Remember to check back to find our latest interviews with inspiring and insightful artist leaders. I'm Rob Kramer. And I'm Corey Madden. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.